Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. Yeah, I'm from Gateway Church in Caledonia, and I'm just really happy to be visiting with you guys tonight. I've heard such great things about the Well Church here in Binbrook. Uh, just a little about me, me and my wife Stacy there, we live in Caledonia with our two kids, and like I said, we, we go to Gateway Church, and uh, I'm a student at Pathway School of Ministry, as Kevin mentioned, and uh, I work full-time as a carpenter, but I felt God calling me to explore ministry, so this is part of that. Um, and tonight, I'm excited to explore this question with you, just the question of who is the Holy Spirit? But uh, let's pray again to begin. Uh, God, we just gather here in your presence, and uh, yeah, we ask you to speak to us, to give us fresh revelation of who you are, that we might know you deeper. In Jesus' name, amen. So, have any of you here, I imagine some of you have, but uh, heard the word Trinity in reference to God, as in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, it's kind of a difficult thing to understand that God is three persons, but he's one. And the only way that I can really understand it is that God exists in relationship, and in such unfathomably intimate relationship, bound in such perfect love, love that we can't understand, that he's so close, that he's one. But that said, let's begin with a story. And this is Nikki Gumbel's story, but it's a great story, so I'm going to share it. It's about this guy, Nigel, in the UK. And Nigel was this really ambitious young guy, and he really wanted to be successful in the photography industry. And so he got a job at a publishing company. And uh, he started out as the T-boy. Apparently, they have T-boys in Britain, but uh, sounds like not a bad gig. Anyway, what happened at this company he was working for is they got into financial trouble, and... Uh, and the editing director left, and the manager left, and so the only person really left was Nigel, and he grabbed this thing by the reins, and he turned this company around and made it really successful. But he wasn't satisfied, and so he thought, well, I want to go to a different magazine. And so he went to a different magazine that was also struggling, and he turned that around and made it more successful than the first one. And he still wasn't satisfied, though, and he said, well, I'm going to start up my own magazine. And so he started his own photography magazine, and it became one of the most successful ones of them all, and it won awards all over the world. And uh, he still wasn't satisfied, though. And so he thought, well, I know what I want. I want to be the photography editor of a major national newspaper. And so he applied, and he, he got into the Sunday Telegraph, which is a major newspaper in the UK, and uh, he became the photography editor. But as you might guess, he still wasn't satisfied. Uh, you see, Nigel's problem was that deep down, he hated himself, and he hated his fellow man as much as he hated himself, and he discovered that his nickname at the newspaper was The Beast, and here he was. He was really successful from a worldly standpoint. He had a great job, loads of money. He had a beautiful wife and two young kids, and he drove a Porsche. He should have been happy, but he was not happy, and so... He visited some friends in Switzerland who told him about the Alpha Course, and they told him about how he could have an experience of the love of God through the Holy Spirit. And Nigel said this kind of desire was kind of born in him, and he just really wanted to experience this God of love. And so when he returned to London, where he lived, uh, he, he searched out, and he, he went out to an Alpha Course. And, uh, but he was, all he really wanted was to was for the Holy Spirit, so I'm not sure how many weeks it's taken to get to here, but he kind of coasted through the Alpha Course, not really paying attention, just waiting for the, waiting for the Holy Spirit uh, weekend. 
And, um, and even, even in those sessions, he was just kind of hanging on, waiting for the part where they prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was getting anxious. He was, in, he was almost in agony waiting for them to pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the last session, he couldn't even take it any longer. He wanted to scream out, just do it, do it now, let's, let's pray. And uh, when the time came to be prayed for, the Holy Spirit was just powerfully manifest and poured the love of God into Nigel's heart and it totally rocked his world and changed him. And Nigel said this, he just said, Oh, the relief. For the first time in my life, I feel normal. And it feels strange how normal I feel. I just feel so loved and at peace. And that's what the experience of the Holy Spirit is like. It's feeling loved. Nigel, he felt accepted for who he was, and he felt free like he never had been before. And Nigel read some words from the Apostle Paul from the book of Philippians, and this now expressed how he felt about his achievements in the business world. He says, Apostle Paul says this, I consider everything as a loss compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And to feel loved like Nigel did, that's what this is all about. And that's what tonight is about. Uh, you are loved, and God wants you to know that you're loved, and he wants you to feel his love. That's what the Holy Spirit does. In some churches, the Holy Spirit has been a bit forgotten. Keith, we were talking about this earlier. There's a much greater focus on God the Father sometimes and God the Son, Jesus, but not always too much focus on the Holy Spirit. And he's also been misunderstood. You know how in the older translations of the Bible, if some of you read them, it talks about the Holy Ghost? You know, sometimes that can freak people out. But, uh, and he's also been resisted. Some people can just be nervous about him. It's the Holy Spirit. It can sound, it can make people nervous. But uh, there's a story of one church that was really kind of formal and conservative, and they had reservations about the Holy Spirit. And in the congregation, uh, a woman came to Christ. And uh, I think she had been reading her Bible a bit, and, and she just felt the love and the power of the Holy Spirit and in their service, she, she yelled out, hallelujah. And uh, afterwards, one of the elders, you know, that's not what we do here, kind of gave her a bit of a hard time about it. And she's like, I'm just so excited. I just, I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he said, well, you didn't get it here. <laughs> and, yeah, not the greatest attitude. But, but uh, the Holy Spirit was involved in creation. He was present all the way back at creation in Genesis 1. And so tonight, we're just going to kind of look through the Bible at where the Holy Spirit shows up, and our time's limited, so we won't be able to hit everything, but we're going to start out in Genesis 1-1, where he was involved in creation. Genesis 1-1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and dark, formless and, dar so formless and empty, and darkness over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. He was waiting to do something new, to bring out of the chaos the cosmos, to bring out of disorder to bring order, and out of confusion to bring harmony. The Holy Spirit always brings new things in our lives, new attitudes, desires, new ways of worship, new songs, and we can be a little conservative or ner nervous of change. There's a story of one man who went to the same church for 46 years, and Someone asked him, over those 46 years, you must have seen a lot of changes. He said, yes, and I've resisted every single one of them. <laughs> maybe we all know people like that, or maybe, maybe, that, maybe that's you. Um, there's another story of a, a pastor 
who was in one of these churches that was fairly resistant to change, and uh, he really wanted to move his piano from one side of the church to the other, but he knew people, there'd be politics and that, so he just moved it one foot at a time every week until eventually it made it to the other side. But uh, yeah, the Holy Spirit is the creator spirit we see in Genesis 1, and he always brings new things, and we see him right at the start of the Bible there. But as we go on through the Bible, we see that the Holy Spirit comes upon particular people at particular times for particular tasks. Uh, For example, he comes upon Bezalel. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps open, you can uh, flip ahead to Exodus 31, but I think it'll also be on the screen. And uh, the Lord is speaking to Moses, and he says, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, from the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. I have filled him with the Spirit of God to make artistic designs. So we see here that the Spirit of God fills people. You can be a talented musician without the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit of God just brings a new dimension to everything we do. And we see that in the course of history. We see it in the Bible, and we also see it post when the Bible is written in the course of history. Uh, The Holy Spirit has filled people in extraordinary ways for artistic ability. Uh, People like Leonardo da Vinci or Johann Sebastian Bach or Handel. Um, I probably didn't say that right, but I'm not sure how many of us listen to classical music, but I'm sure some of you know Handel's Messiah. In 1741, Handel had suffered a stroke, and he had a paralyzed right arm, he had blurred vision, his poor health, and work had dried up. And so he was asked to set some, of, some pieces of the Bible to music, and he composed the entire music for Handel's Messiah in 24 days, which is incredible. And when he was composing the Hallelujah course, he said he thought he saw heaven open and he saw the very face of God. His biographer wrote this, Handel's Messiah has probably done more to convince thousands that there is a God than all the theological texts written. Or perhaps no other, the works of no other composer has so largely contributed to the relief of human suffering. And this is not just in the past. We see it today. I'm sure you guys have listened to a song or maybe a worship music or and you just felt the Spirit working through that. And I think of Charlie Mackesy. I think Kevin showed you the sculpture uh, in one of the other talks, but uh, the sculpture he did of the prodigal son. And that, script, that sculpture has helped so many people understand what God is like and how he's a loving father who wants to embrace you in his arms. So we actually have a short video of uh, Charlie's testimony and his experience in the Alpha Course Uh, with this Holy Spirit. So we're going to watch that quick now. So when I arrived on the Alpha Weekend, um, my immediate desire was to leave. Uh, I spent most of the time avoiding anyone who looked remotely like a leader. Um, And... I kept in the in the hall where it happened. There was a back door, and I just would constantly leave to go out the door to have a cigarette. Um, I didn't even smoke. I just had to <laughs> have a cigarette. 
it was, uh, it all felt pretty strange and, and foreign and I didn't really want to be there. Yeah, that was my immediate reaction. Avoid leaders, smoke cigarettes, avoid people. My leader was very tall, he was a very nice guy. He's still a friend of mine now, but at the time I didn't really know him. And he, on the Saturday morning, approached me and said, can I pray for you? And I said, no. And he went, okay. And so that was that. I, you know, resisted him and whatever else it was that came with him. And then the next day he was, you know, you got to give him credit for perseverance because he approached me again and said, can I, in a similar kind of earnest face, <laughs> can I pray for you? And I said, okay, if it'll shut you up, I guess you can pray for me. The first word he said was, he just said, Lord, like that with his head bowed. And he clearly had been eating kippers for breakfast because I got this waft of uh, fish, yeah, which was a poor start. Um, he said, Lord, um, please bless Charlie with your Holy Spirit. And as he was praying, I sort of didn't want to shut my eyes because, you know, you want to be aware of what's going on. And so I was looking up at him and I was aware as he was praying, I could see this Adam's apple. His eyes were shut and it was, I was just staring at it, it was moving up and down. So that became my fixation. And then when I got tired of looking at that, he kept praying, I looked at the ground and I stared at this carpet and the carpet was truly ugly. Like one of those carpets where I imagined the board meeting they'd had about the carpet and the swatches and the big discussion, which is the ugliest bit of carpet we can find. And so those are my preoccupations were his Adam's apple, the carpet and the strong smell of fish. Um, and I wasn't particularly aware of any Holy Spirit or any kind of divine anything except my sort of wild thoughts and uh, defences um, and uh, and anyway after that I heard him say Amen and I just Amen Amen that's a relief um, and uh, and he smiled and uh, he has this incredible nasal sigh and he just did this long profound nasal sigh and I was relieved that he was pleased he moved on to someone else and I was left to my own thoughts and time and and I did feel genuinely a deep sense, a remarkable sense of peace. Now quite why that was, whether that was because I was relieved that nothing weird had happened, maybe it was God giving me peace, but I genuinely felt peace and I, so much so that I went and sat in the corner with my arms folded and just sort of observed the rest of the, the session um, with a large grin on my face. So that was my first experience. Essentially, it was littered with odd experiences, but at the end of it, it was peace. So that was a great testimony of how the Holy Spirit in modern day has filled someone for, with artistic ability. So the Holy Spirit can fill us uh, for whatever we're involved in. It can be music or art, or it could be your work, whatever you do for work, if it honors God. The Spirit of God wants to fill you with skill and ability and creativity for what you do. The Holy Spirit came upon Gideon for leadership. In Judges 6, it says this, God said to Gideon, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Gideon replied, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. Israel had been overrun by Midianites, and the country was in desperate need. And God had called Gideon to lead. And Gideon's response is, I'm just so weak. It's amazing that God uses people that feel weak, inadequate, and ill-equipped. Personally, I find it very encouraging 
to think that he can even use me. But how does he does it? In verse 34, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. He also came upon Samson for strength and power. In Judges 15, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. And so often what happens in the Old Testament in a physical way was happen in the New Testament in a spiritual way. And so just as the Holy Spirit gave Samson strength to break his physical bindings, the Holy Spirit can give us strength to break free from habits and addictions that keep us spiritually bound. He came upon Isaiah for prophecy. In Isaiah 61, he says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. And this is an amazing thing that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He gives us the ability to help other people, to set other people free. It's not just about having a warm feeling. It's about making a difference in the world. And I know I found it frustrating at times when I see people who need help, and I want to help them, and I have compassion, but I don't really feel like I have anything to offer. But when the Spirit of God fills you, you can help people. You can bind up the brokenhearted because he will enable you. And there's something, people who are brokenhearted will come to you because they know there's something about you that binds them up. And he, he proclaims freedom for the captives. Some people are set free instantly. And for others of us, it can be a longer-term thing. And I can identify with something that Bono from the band U2 has said. Uh, in one of his song lyrics, it says, For all that I was lost, I am found. But in an interview, he said, it's probably more accurate to say, I was really lost, and I'm a little less lost, and a little less lost, and a little less lost every day. That to him is a spiritual life, the slow reworking, a rebooting of a computer, uh, reading the service manual, and slowly being built into a better image. It's taken years, and it's not over yet. Jesus sets us free. He sets the captives free. Like we read, he proclaims freedom for the prisoners and release from darkness for those in prisons. One of the things that's deeply satisfying, if you've ever heard, but is stories of people who are physically in prison, that are in jail, and, but yet they're set free by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I think there's probably people in jail who are more free than people who are outside walking around free who are in a spiritual bondage. And whether or not we're in prison or not, Jesus came to set us free. And the Holy Spirit gives us that freedom. And we can proclaim that and bring that to other people. And that's a huge blessing. So we kind of pick up on this theme that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes on particular people for particular tasks. But as we go on in the Old Testament, there's a bit of a rising sense of anticipation that something new is going to happen. And this new thing is called the promise of the Father. So again, if you have your Bibles handy, turn ahead to Ezekiel 36. Give you just a quick minute. I think it'll be on screen too. So Ezekiel 36, 26. This is what the Lord says. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. 
I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. It's almost like in the Old Testament, there was these laws. We can think of the Ten Commandments, but there was these laws that were kind of out there. And people knew they were good laws and that they were God's laws, but they really could not keep them and they were having a hard time. And so they became this burden, like this measuring stick they could never measure up to. But God says, the promise of the Father, look, when my spirit comes to live within you, it'll be different. These laws and commands won't be a burden to you. Instead, you'll have an inner strength and desire to obey them. And that inner desire is kind of hard to capture, but I mean, I look at a guy like, say, Francis Chan, and I think, wow, like what an amazing man. I would love to just be a bit more like that guy. And that's not because I feel like I have to. It's just I have this desire, and the Spirit gives us a desire to be people, to live lives that are more loving and more kind and more generous. And he says, he'll take away our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. I think of this lady, Jackie Pullinger, and she has this amazing ministry. She spent her life working with sex workers, gang leaders, and heroin addicts. And she works with them and ministers them, and she sees them set free from, by Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing ministry. And she once started a talk by saying, God wants us to have soft hearts and hard feet. And the problem with most of us is that we have hard hearts and soft feet. But when the Spirit of God comes and resides in us, he works in us and he softens our heart and gives us compassion for people. And he gives us hard feet, a willingness to go where we need to go. Jackie Pullinger has hard feet. She's been in tough situations and she lives a tough life. But if you ever happen to see her with a drug addict or a prostitute, you'll see this amazing love and compassion flow out of her. That's from the Holy Spirit. So God promised the Holy Spirit back in the Old Testament. But to whom was he going to give it to, and how will it happen? Well, in Joel 2.28, God said this, But afterwards, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And that's the amazing thing. That's an amazing verse because it tells us the Holy Spirit is for everyone. I remember after I was baptized, I remember being in church and singing a worship song. And I just remember feeling the love of God just wash over me like a waterfall. And it was an amazing experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And after I was baptized, it's almost like my spiritual life went from neutral into drive. And since then, the Holy Spirit has just equipped me to minister to other people, to point them to Christ, that they might know the love of God. And so he did come to particular people for particular tasks at particular times. But then God says, I'm going to do something new. And it's not just going to be for particular people at particular times, but it's going to be for everyone. And so when they read this, they were excited and they think, oh, this is great. We're going to have the Spirit. 
But it didn't happen, and they waited hundreds of years. And then suddenly, surrounding the birth of Jesus, it's like a trumpet sounds, and everyone around the birth of Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. In Luke 135, an angel says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And when Mary is pregnant with Jesus, and she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist, and they greet one another, the baby leapt in Elizabeth's womb, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he was older, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not, un- I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, baptize, to baptize literally means to soak, to overwhelm, immerse, and to plunge. It's like, it's like a ship being sunk in water. And sometimes I think my heart is like this. Do you know those crusty, kind of old sponges? Maybe you have one in your basement in a bucket that hasn't been used in a while. You're using a Swiffer now. You, you put them in a bucket of water, and the, the water doesn't even go into them. You've got to kind of like ram them under the water and hold them down there so the water starts to go in them. But once the water gets in there, it comes out, and it's heavy, and it's sopping wet, and the water's just pouring everywhere. And that's what happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's being baptized, drenched, or filled. And at Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit actually descended in bodily form like a dove. And Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was led into the wilderness to be tempted. And when he came back, he went into the synagogue and read these words that you'll recognize from before, from Isaiah 61. He read, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sat down and said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus said, he is key to all this. And as we flip forward in John 7, he said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flowing through them. By this, he meant the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, it's going to happen. It's coming. And Jesus had to be glorified. He had to be crucified and raised to life. And when they happened, they still were waiting. And after his resurrection, on one occasion, Jesus was eating with his disciples. And he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so there was this kind of rising sense of anticipation. Jesus says, wait here. It's like a champagne bottle being shaken. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 2, the cork flies off says this. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And what seemed like flames, tongues of fire, came and separated and rested on each of them. All of them, not just particular people at particular times, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And those, the people that saw this, some were amazed, some were perplexed, and some made fun of them and said, they're just drunk, they've had too much wine. But Peter, who was among them, got up and said this, let me explain this to you. This is the Holy Spirit. This was prophesied about in the Bible. And he quotes the prophet Joel, who we read earlier. In those days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Peter says, this is Jesus. And then, most amazing of, us all, most amazing of all, he says, this is for you. Peter preached, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children, not just those present there, and for the next generation, and not just for them, for all who are far off, for all on whom the Lord will call. And he, Peter says this promise, the promise of all the things we've looked at tonight, of harmony, of beauty, creativity, newness of strength, freedom and compassion, anointing and living water, that this promise is for you and you and you and all of us here tonight. So let's pray and then we'll maybe look at these discussion questions. God, we just ask that you would uh, speak to our hearts by your spirit, that you would fill people with your spirit and that these things would take root in our heart tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, in our tables, we'll kind of work through these questions. So the first question is, what did you think or feel about today's message? What stood out to you? Uh, question number two is, how do you feel about the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Number three is, have you ever seen someone's life change so much that you couldn't deny that it was God changing them? And number four is, what are some reasons a person might be hesitant to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And the last one, what are some good reasons a person would want to be filled with the Holy Spirit?